When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the 5th Annual Cannabis Opportunities Conference, 3rd Annual Black Cannabis Week, powered by the Diasporic Alliance for Cannabis Opportunities, and sponsored by CannabisRadio.com, the premier podcast network for all things cannabis and psychedelics. Governor Tom Wolf and Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman recently announced the deadline of September 30th, 2022, for those applying for a pardon for a select minor non-violent marijuana criminal conviction as part of a one-time expedited process through the Pennsylvania Board of Pardons. So far, more than 1,600 people have applied for a pardon through the Pennsylvania Marijuana Pardon Project. Here to discuss the progress of this project, please welcome Luis Gonzalez, Celeste Trusty, the Lieutenant Governor of Pennsylvania and 2022 gubernatorial candidate John Fetterman, and the moderator of our panel, Pennsylvania State Senator Sharif Street. As we get ready for our next panel discussion, we're going to hear we're hearing from some of our our state's leaders in the space of cannabis of the PA pardons process as it relates to cannabis. But before we get into our panel discussion, we are going to get a chance to hear from the man who made it all possible, one of the one of the Commonwealth's and soon the nation's great leaders on cannabis legalization, none other than, let's cue up a video from the Honorable uh, Lieutenant Governor, Lieutenant John Gov- Fetterman. Thank you. Hi, I'm Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman. Thank you so much for the opportunity to tell you a little about this awesome new project the governor and I created. Since we took over as the chair in 2019, we believe that Pennsylvania is a place for second chances. The Marijuana Pardon Project will help people get pardons quickly for stupid weed convictions until the Republicans in Harrisburg vote to legalize this we can stop people from being punished for something most of us don't even think it should be illegal. So please, I'm asking you, get in your application yesterday to take advantage of this program. It stops at the end of the month. Please get it in and make sure you take advantage of this amazing opportunity to, the only thing you have, Stan, to lose is your record. Get it in. Thank you so much. All right, let's give a hand for our Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman. 
Well, we want to thank everybody for coming out today. And as we move along with our process, we're here. We're going to hear from a couple of folks who are going to talk about Pennsylvania's relatively unique program, which is an expedited process for clearing up your record uh, if you have cannabis convictions. The cannab the Pennsylvania marijuana pardons process. And the first, we're going to hear from our first panelist is a person who is the leader in of the uh, process. She is the secretary of the Pennsylvania Board of Pardons, none other than the Honorable Celeste Trustee. Thank you so Secretary much. Secretary Celeste Trustee. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I, just Celeste is fine. Thank you so much, Senator. Um, so yeah, I want to echo, echo what Lieutenant Governor said about the Marijuana Pardons Project. Um, our goal and the governor's goal is to get as many people with low-level weed convictions through the pardons process as fast as possible before the governor leaves office. Um, usually the pardons process, the commutation process can take years. It usually does take years. This program will allow people to get a pardon within a matter of months. Um, we the application is online. Uh, you can find it at mj. I'm sorry, pa.gov forward slash mj pardon. Um, we only require just a couple pieces of information. The usual pardon application or commutation application requires a whole bunch of documents and things like that, personal statements. This program just requires a few pieces of information. You need the county of conviction, your OTN and the docket number, which we have a link for you that you can find. The EJS portal gives you your record. Um, if you have a hard time finding your record, you can reach out for help. Um, the clerk of courts or the prothonotary's office in the county of conviction is usually very, very helpful um, with finding information for older convictions. As of this morning, we had about 2,225 applications in for the PA Marijuana Pardon Project. Um, more than 400 of those applications came in last week alone. Um, that's incredible. Now, of course, not everybody who applied is going to actually be eligible, uh, just because you have to run checks and make sure that they actually qualify uh, with the convictions and no out-of-state convictions. But um, that's a lot of people who are saddled with a terrible, terrible burden of a criminal record for something that most of us think should be legal, something that most of us are able to actually access legally here in the Commonwealth. Also, if you go across the bridge, you can go and get legal, recreational, adult cannabis. It makes absolutely no sense that people here in Pennsylvania should be able to um, run up against those barriers, like not being able to access uh, public services or even go and chaperone your kids on a field trip, um, being able to get professional licenses because of something that most of us don't think should be Ill illegal and something that so many of us do legally and otherwise in this commonwealth. <laughs> uh, so yes, uh, pa.gov forward slash MJ pardon is the website. Um, if you do have additional marijuana convictions that are not included in the pardon project, we still have an expedited program for folks. Um, it has a lot broader uh, range of convictions that are included. Um, so you can take a look at that and see it's not going to be a matter of months, but it'll definitely be much quicker than the usual pardons process. All right. Thank you, Secretary Trustee. So next, we're going to hear from Luis Gonzalez from the I Am More program at Community College of Philadelphia. He is one of the juvenile lifers who has come back into the community and is doing some really incredible things. Uh, and he's going to talk to us about uh, his program and his perspective on the, um, the PA pardons process. You got a bunch of mics over there. Still learning. 
Um, thank you for having me. My name is Luis Gonzalez. I'm, I'm a former juvenile lifer who served 31 years and 85 days in prison and who caught a marijuana charge in prison, Camp Hill, for smoking a joint, not even a blunt, a, a half a joint. And they gave me six months to a year on top of a life sentence. I was able to get out on the life sentence, but the marijuana charge still hanging over my head to this day. You know, I am an administrator at community college. I oversee the IMO program, which is a program that offer college opportunities to anybody that's been impacted by the system. Now, the problem that we're facing is we're getting a lot of people with marijuana charges on their records. When you have a charge such as marijuana, you know, you don't qualify for a lot of federal funds. And this is the reason why I'm here supporting this project. Because if we get some of these students parties, we could change their life by giving them an opportunity to complete their college journey. Bugalese, now there are a lot of people that think because of decriminalization that marijuana is legal in Philly and that they're cool. Is that the case? No. No, it's not the case. So, um, you know, because, like, for a person like me that's on parole for the rest of his, for the rest of my life, if I smoke a joint because of my back hurt, like the doctor suggested, you know, I was in prison for thirty-one years. I never had health care, so I'm coming out now. I'm getting asthma. I'm getting all these type of health issues, and the doctors is telling me you need to go some weed you know and I'm like whoa my parole agent is like not at all we don't care if it's medical or not it's a violation of parole you know and that's where I stand at but for my students it's almost like putting them back in the streets you know we in one hand we telling people we're going to reform the system right we got to go in to the system all the way if most of us are old enough, if you know anything about the early 80s, when you got caught with weed, right, they used that charge to enhance the sentence you was going to get for other crimes. So we got brothers and sisters sitting in the penitentiary today with life sentences because they had a drug charge, and that drug charge increased the sentence to life. Yeah, this is how important this issue is. It sounds like it's a huge issue, and and you know one of the things you're making a point is deep that there are so many cases in which um, even though we've reformed the the met, the medical marijuana uh, process where you can get a medical marijuana card if you have cannabinoids in your system, um, you can and you get stopped. You can still get hit with a DUI even though it was legal marijuana and that could be a violation of the of your uh, of your parole or probation status. Uh, there are a number it can be it can cause you to lose your job and that can trigger a criminal justice issue if part of your condition is you're supposed to keep a job and it can prevent you from going to a lot of educational programs that are federally funded where the while the state may say it's legal in some instances the feds still say it's a schedule one drug so there are a lot number of things that could happen um, uh, result in this and that so that's one of the reasons that's a problem can you talk um, secretary trustee about some of the ways because uh, Louise brought up sentencing enhancement um, some of the ways that, that this has played in the sentencing 
Absolutely. So, you know, we look at the history of how law enforcement has really looked at um, and treated drug use. Um, it has been criminalized for so long. Um, and who has been most targeted and harmed, of course, has been communities and people of color. And having a criminal record, whether it's something as small as weed or something as large as murder, that can haunt you for the rest of your life. As Suave mentioned, people can't get access to federal funds if you have something like a drug charge. So if you want to go to school and get a better education so you can go and better take care of your family, you can't because you got caught with some weed. Yet you look around and people can walk into a cannabis store, a medical marijuana dispensary, it looks like an Apple store, and have their pick you know, search and they ask and what is the this and what can this help, right? Yet we have people who still can't access higher education or they've gotten a master's degree and are unable to get the licensing required because they have a criminal record for doing something that so many people do every single day. Um, this is a problem. You know, having a criminal record costs our all of our community's money. If one person has a criminal record, all of us are impacted. You know, there's been some great data out that shows that in 10 years of pardons in Pennsylvania, pardon recipients have been able to make an additional $16 million. That's a lot of money, right? And if you have that ability to feed your family better, find better housing, you know, get access to higher education, um, that can open doors and it can save lives, you know? It's ridiculous that my dear friend Suave could go back to prison for the rest of his life because he wanted to do something that the doctor, the doctor recommended he could do or should do, or that's something that I can do as a medical uh, card holder, right? And there are so many people like Suave um, and other folks who are on supervision and using cannabis is not allowed. Um, and so being able to address this, being able to help clear people's records, this is not a just, just about people who just wanna be going out and smoking weed all the time. And you know, this is not about that. This is about fundamental fairness. If we, as our, you know, our legislature was able to come up with the fact that look, marijuana is beneficial. It is medicine and it is helpful. Yet our legislature hasn't caught up by saying anybody who has a record for doing this beneficial thing should have an automatic you know, expungement or an automatic pardon, or it should just be legalized. Um, and so really having a small record like this can impact somebody for the rest of their lives. And as Suave mentioned, um, I mean, it does happen where sentencing enhancements do, um, they are used in order to keep people down longer. Um, and so if we look at, you know, yeah, decriminalization is awesome, but it's still not legal. And so, yes, the enforcement is lowered. That's wonderful. It's not Commonwealth wide. So in Philadelphia, it can be decriminalized. You cross the border and you can get arrested. Um, and so we really need to look at making sure that things are fair and enforced. And as our dear Democratic whip mentioned earlier, we need to make sure that the people who are elected, who go and represent all of us, in Harrisburg are representing all of us in Harrisburg. If you said 80% or higher 
of people actually agree with legalization. Why is our legislature not responding to that? And so we need to make sure that the people who are in power, that we pay their salaries. I mean, you all pay my salary too, right? You pay Senator Street's salary. Hold everybody accountable who you pay their salary and say, if we want legalization and if you want to retain your, your seat at the table, you need to work on this. That's an excellent point. And, and, so, and there's a lot of confusion around the criminal laws when it comes to, um, and the, law, the legal system period when it comes to cannabis. So for instance, around firearms. Now, the state of Pennsylvania says if you have a cannabis card and you use cannabis, um, that's, that's legal. But, and, and because you're not breaking the law, Therefore, you could still possess a firearm. But the U.S. government says, no, 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 you can't have a firearm if you're using even medical cannabis. Um, and so there's some confusion there. And then another question that always confused me, confused a lot of people, if you have a cannabis cart in Pennsylvania, and you can legally get cannabis in Pennsylvania, you can buy cannabis, use it in Pennsylvania, put it, in your, put it in your house, store it, but you stay in Pennsylvania, and if you have a cannabis card in New Jersey, you can buy cannabis, use it, keep it in your shore house in New Jersey. Why can't you drive your Pennsylvania cannabis or your New Jersey cannabis across the bridge without breaking the law? Because the reality is that's interstate commerce and you break the law if you take your Pennsylvania cannabis to your shore house or your shore cannabis to your regular house because you can keep your New Jersey cannabis in Jersey, your cannabis, Philadelphia cannabis in Philadelphia, or Pennsylvania cannabis in Pennsylvania, but you can't take it back and forth. Um, so there's a lot of confusion uh, around that. Um, and so what kinds of things do you think, Louise, you're talking to young people, we could, how do you think we go about, do a better job of educating young people about what they can and can't do in this space? I mean, by telling them the real deal. That a lot of people think because you could get a marijuana car that is legal, it's really not. If you caught up in the criminal justice system, you could get violated. And a lot of people don't know this. I deal with this every day when I see my students. They come in, you know, apply for financial aid and I'm like you can't you don't qualify why not because you got this charge well this is a misdemeanor you gotta marry one of the charge you know therefore you don't qualify for them federal dollars and, and, and it's hurtful because these are brothers they want out the street and they search and toss education and we can't give it to them so if they got cannabis and, in the system can they go to the military probably <laughs> they, they can sign up to the military, but they can't sign up for college. Ah, can't go to the military with cannabis in your system. You can't. Nah, it's oh, federal government. Bad. That's yeah, it. There you go. All these vets out there was getting high back in Vietnam. Well, if you finish it, you're done. Once you're done being in the military, you can do what you want. <laughs> but active but, duty you know, military need, can't use cannabis. We need to really give it to our young folks out there. That if you out there, like I was. Back in them days, it was joints. You know, I got caught with half a joints. Three cinema for a joint. They gave me six months for that. And since I was serving life, I was like, oh, it's nothing. That's nothing. You know, what's that going to hurt me? Now that I'm in higher education, going, trying to be a, a professor, because I'm trying to get my master's degree, but I don't have the dollars to pay for a master's degree. I'm being told, like, you don't qualify, even though I work in an institution of higher education. And the school, you know, they got a policy that if you want a master's degree, they will pay for half. 
if you qualify for financial aid, but I'm like, I don't qualify. So that put me in a, in, in, in a, in a space where, what the heck, this happened 35 years ago. 35 years ago. You know, I pay, I pay a lot of taxes today now that I work in higher education and I don't qualify. So legislation that we have, uh, I proposed along with other legislators, has suggested that we should, uh, when we move to rec legalizing recreational adult use, we should seal or expunge as statu as a matter of law all the records of everyone, all cannabis uh, expungement, all cannabis convictions in Pennsylvania that ever happened. Uh, do you think that would have an impact on the people you work with, Secretary Trustee? Absolutely. It, it, would, it would give us uh, uh, a chance to really allow brothers that's trying to go to college and sisters, which go into the question of public safety. Because if we could get a whole group of guys that want to go to college to go to college, that's a group of guys we ain't got to worry about being in the corners. Secretary Trustee, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, when you look around, I mean, what Suave said is exactly right, right? We want everybody who comes home, and most people who are incarcerated are going to come home. So if there are people out there who are trying to make their lives better, make our communities better by going to school, having access to higher education and better jobs, and we're telling them no because they have a weed charge, or if someone was be able to be you know, resentenced after 31 years to come home and we trust them to come home and be a productive member of society, why is having a small little joint something that is holding Suave back? after everything he's done. Being able to, now a lot of people don't even realize this, in order to get an expungement, for the most part, you have to get a pardon first. So in order to clear your record, you've got to go through the extensive pardon process. And look, we've done a lot to make the process easier and better, but it still isn't perfect. It still takes a long time. So like, you mean a long time, like a week? Huh. So <laughs> pardons take years to get, right? You know, this is the problem. Like it takes years to get. And if somebody wants to go to school that semester, they shouldn't have to sit there and realize, wait, I can't do this now because I smoked a joint 35 years ago. So if we could pass legislation, so first of all, I wish we could just pardon everyone, right? But even person, every, if we were able to, which we can't do, but even if we were able to pardon everyone with a weed conviction, they would still have to go petition the courts for an expungement, which is a process. We need to be able to pass legislation that not only legalizes, but prioritizes automatic expungement. People who have already been harmed, already had to struggle so much because of these convictions should no longer have to do any work. You know, again, if you can walk down the street and see people going into the dispensary, 85 years old, 18 years old, you know, we should be able to understand that marijuana use is not harmful, that we should do automatic expungement for anybody with these convictions so they can move on with their lives. People should not be stifled for something that so many people do legally or illegally, but can do legally in this commonwealth. And as you said, right across the bridge, they can do legally recreationally. And so if we were able to address all of those records, it would lift barriers for people. As I mentioned, 10 years of pardons in Pennsylvania allowed people to earn an extra $16 million. That's more taxes that goes into our all of our communities across the Commonwealth. 
if we aren't arresting people for using marijuana, that allows law enforcement to actually use resources in a different way that could be more beneficial. I bet most cops, if you ask them, they probably don't want to go and enforce small little weed things every it, single it's day. It's funny that the police chief, the Pennsylvania Police Chiefs Association, has overwhelmingly come out in favor of uh, legalization. They just don't believe, uh, and most of them in favor of decriminalization as well. Although decriminalization, they actually are more in favor of legalization than decriminalization because they're like decriminalization causes confusion. Yes, people think, and it's the police chief said we should just skip to legalization because there's too much confusion around non-enforcement with decrim that we should go to legalization. Um, but most of them support either one because you're right, they're like, it's a waste of time. Officers don't want to be writing, stopping people, writing them up and arresting them for marijuana charges. And then they said it actually erodes trust in the community because mm -hmm. people are like, hey, you're just doing this because you're a bad person. No, you should. You're picking on these these folks, because a lot of because because the overwhelming public sentiment is that it should be legal. Mm -hmm. Law enforcement officers, a lot of them say we agree it should be, but until it is, we gotta do what we have to do. Yeah. So that's a that's a really good point. And forty and it's forty two thousand dollars a year per inmate. And, uh, and that's inmates that are young and not sick. Mm -hmm. <laughs> young, healthy inmates, it's $42,000 an inmate um, for, for keeping people incarcerated. So anything that drives incarceration, it's costing us a lot of money. And it also costs human potential and capital. If you have an interaction with the legal system, again, even an arrest that's on your record, you know, and then you've got to take off work in order to go into the courtroom. Um, if you don't go to court, what happens, right? There's a warrant out for your arrest. Um, there's all of these things that compound the difficulty of life, which is already pretty hard <laughs> as an adult, but it just compounds the difficulty of life. And we have, I think it's like 12 to 18,000 new arrests every year in the Commonwealth for marijuana use. And if you think about not just the impact of what that is on law enforcement resources to do that, court resources. I mean, our courts are clogged. They've got to take these cases and listen to these cases, but also on the individual, on their family, all of these things. You know, we really need to understand that we, if we don't legalize, we're going to continue to harm our communities over and over and over. And we're still going to see the people who have not been harmed traditionally by by criminalization benefit largely uh, from legalization in certain sectors. And public housing is largely federally funded. So there are lots of folks who can't get in, who can't uh, get into public housing because at the federal level, uh, a marijuana charge is still a, is still a, uh, still a drug charge. Mm -hmm. and, and you know, for some of the programs that people can't get into is like the CDL. Mm -hmm. If you're going for a CDL license and you got a marijuana conviction or a medical card, you don't qualify. And that's like one of the trades that a lot of guys coming home want to get into. So you can't do it, you can't do CDL, that's, that's commercial driver's license, right? Yes. So that means you can't like go on a construction site, drive a uh, backhoe, or, uh, right. but it also means you can't drive a bus or a tractor trailer too. <clears throat> wow. So, so guys come to our program for certification, we can't give it to them. Mm. Because all money comes from the federal. But what if they? What, what, what if it was like just a little joint? A little what? Just a little joint. It wasn't like. Well, I was. Business. I had half a joint. 
half a joint. You know, it wasn't even a real a big joint. And, and I'm talking about sounds old school. I'm talking about 1987. Now, so I, I heard from some of the young boys that they say if you just smoke a little joint and then you drink like a lot of water and, and some Gatorade, you could be cool. <laughs> well, you know, I never got I never got to do that because that was I was booked. You know, in jail, what a license is. I was they booked me right on the spot, right? But you know, it's funny now, and it was funny back then. But I'm like, wow. So just a little joint is still affecting you. It's still affecting me to this day. To this day, that's crazy. Still crying. I but, have a joint, you know, because I never thought I'd work in higher education. But what if you just eat edibles and you don't smoke it? You, you be in solid. I'll be writing Aisha from solitary confinement. I need help. Tell Street I need help. Like, so you, know, you can't, that, that, no edibles 90, either. That's ninety days. Of and and we're, we're laughing, but a lot of young people are like, "Nah, man, I'll never smoke no joint." I'll be like, "Yo, man, you you the, the test saying you got problem. The, the employer says your test. They said, "Well, I you know I have edibles." Yeah. Like you don't smoke joint, but you have which, edibles, which, which, <laughs> which could cost you a six months. It's the same six same month violation right. and ninety days in solitary confinement. So they could come That's in. That's the reality. So for a, so a marijuana gummy bear can send them back to jail. Yes, mm-hmm. one gummy bear. Yes, mm-hmm. terrible. And, and, and the parole office that is that's taking your urine is probably um, smoking mm. himself or herself. Yeah, that's so. Um, it sounds like there is a pretty significant impact in terms of human capital and also economic capital on society. Um, even right now, where we think we've advanced marijuana legalization, one of the things that's happened is um, in the past, the war on cannabis, we know for even though use, uh, usage for cannabis was is roughly even amongst black and brown people and white folks. Black and brown folks are like four times more likely nationwide to encounter law enforcement, six times more likely in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Um, that that seems like that will create some disparities. And we anecdotally know that like if you're white and you live in South Philly or Kensington versus you're white and you live in Chestnut Hill or Rittenhouse Square, you, that poor white folks are more likely to encounter law enforcement than rich white folks. We just don't keep data on that. But everybody kind of knows that to be the case. Right now, we can't use cannabis if you go. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com amazing to start your springtime adventure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. To get cannabis legally, it's expensive, and you can't use your insurance even though you have a medical issue. So if you're poor, how are you going to access cannabis? Does it seem like we might be actually making the, the, the gap bigger? Yeah, and not just the product is expensive, because it is. 
but getting your medical license is like $200 the first time to see the doctor. Then you have to pay the state every year, like 50 bucks. And you have to renew this every single year. So not only is product and medication. So $250 and they didn't give you no weed yet? No. I think it's $100 the second year or something. But still, that's not even getting any weed yet. So then you got to go to the store and see that the product is outrageously expensive. So it's already limiting. And I know, you know, Rep Harris earlier was talking about you do have dispensaries in your neighborhood. You go to CVS, they give you whatever the doctor prescribes you, and you have like a $3 copay sometimes. But there's no way for people who are using cannabis through the medical program to use healthcare dollars, use their health savings account, or just have a copay or something to actually access their medication. It's still very, very hard for a lot of people to actually access. Then you look at you know, where you live. If you look across the Commonwealth, we already know there's, you know, disparate rates of enforcement across the Commonwealth and things like that. But also, how do you get to, you know, a dispensary if there's no access to public transportation in your county um, and you need to get there somehow? Or if there's only one dispensary in your county? Um, here, Philly, you can go and, you know, throw a rock and hit one. But a lot of places, it's hard to access, but it really is something that we need to look at. I think when we're looking at our medical program, it is wonderful that people are, that, you know, we've recognized that this is an actual medical, you know, medicine, but we also have to recognize that if we're saying this is medicine, we need to make it accessible to everybody who needs medicine. So one of the issues that was brought to my attention, firefighters, even here in the city of Philadelphia, who have chronic back pain and a lot of those, those things are using medical cannabis and are now being told that uh, they can't because they could lose their job. Um, so are there a number of employment sectors? Now, they're not being talked about being criminally prosecuted, but firefighters are told they can infer, they could lose their job if they have cannabis in their system, even if they're even if they weren't using it on the job. Are there other employment issues around this? I think there are a lot of different employment issues around this. Part of it is because cannabis stays in your system much longer than an hour. So cannabis can stay in your system for months based on your weight, based on your consumption. And so it makes it difficult, right? We talked about DUIs earlier. It makes it very difficult for medical cannabis patients to prove, look, I wasn't under the influence of the medicine right now. It was used the night before. Um, and so it really does make an impact. You know, a lot of people are zero tolerance, even if it is being used legally. Um, as you mentioned, you know, not being able to have certain jobs where you're driving um, or around children, I think, you know, there are a lot of different like, impacts. Nurse assistance. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's something that again, not just about the job being um, impacted or you might lose your job. It's about not being able to access those jobs too. Because again, we hear stories all the time of people who have gone and gotten their masters and they're just waiting to go and take that test or they've passed the test and they are being told they can't get that license because of an old weed charge. Yeah, that's crazy. One of the, you brought, uh, um, uh, you brought up healthcare, Louise, I mean, you brought up healthcare. Um, and, uh, there, one of the things that's our fastest growing sector of our economy are healthcare related jobs, particularly as people start to age and we need to look take care of folks. Are you suggesting that we like cut people that people are all the way cut out of, of most of the healthcare jobs because of like well, just using well, a joint? Most students they're going for medical assistance and community college did not know that if you have a charge, a marijuana charge, you can't continue in medical school. 
we just had you speak to some of the students and they was like, what? What I'm gonna do? Because they're about to graduate, thinking you could, you could continue taking the classes, but you can't get your certification. So they can't get, the, even if they get the degree, they can't get the certification. Yes, you can't get the certification. So that, that seems incredibly problematic. Um, and so do you think that the state, state government should take any action to try and clean this stuff up? Yeah, I, I think that this is why I always say that if we're going to talk about marijuana, let's go into it completely because it affects everything, everything. You know, students, these are students that got charged, you know, just smoking the joint, you know, on the corner, one blunt for 20 people, but they all got charged. Probably was conspiracy also. They all got charged. <laughs> now they're in college thinking, oh, you know, I ain't got no real criminal record. You complete your degree program. And now you're being told you can't get the certification to become a social worker because you have this charge. Or you can't become a, um, a nurse assistant because you have this charge. You know, so, I always tell the administrators in the school, why don't you tell them that before they even start taking that course? Mm -hmm. But if they do, then it's a problem because it's like, we can't do that. We can't discourage them from taking their career choice courses. So one of the things I also heard of, um, and I had young people come to me with this, is in some counties in Pennsylvania, they decriminalized cannabis. So um, a possession of cannabis for personal use is just a misdemeanor. But if the cannabis is in a Ziploc bag, the Ziploc bag is drug paraphernalia, and they give you a felony for the Ziploc bag that you bought from like the regular supermarket to put the cannabis in, but the cannabis is a misdemeanor, but they give you a felony for the bag. Uh, Secretary, trustee, can they do that? They can do lots of things. <laughs> the thing is, a lot of times we'll see people who get charged with 17 different things, right? It's a conspiracy because there's three people in the car. You got paraphernalia because you got something to, I mean, if you got the weed, you're going to want to use it somehow, right? So you got the paraphernalia, you got the bag, um, you know, it's, they'll be able to, oh, that could be intention. If you've got the box of bags, that could be intent to distribute because you've got a box of bags instead of one. Um, often what happens is you get charged with a whole bunch of stuff. You take a plea, you take a smaller plea. And, but we see that very often. We have a lot of people who are charged and convicted of possession and paraphernalia, and conspiracy, and possession with intent, and all of the different things. Um, and it's really difficult to have, I mean, to have that many criminal convictions on your record for sharing a blunt with your friends. You know, it really is something, I mean, you ask Suave, should the legislature do something? If the legislature doesn't do something, we're going to continue to just be in this cycle where we are incarcerating people, arresting people, you know, desperately too, because again, not every county does it the same way. Right. You can be here in Philly thinking you're cool because it's just a little summary or a ticket or, and then you can go into Chester County and they can book you right there, you know, and then you've got a, a record. And so we need to look at ways that everybody understands, you know, and I'm, you know, on the way here, I was sitting here thinking how many people in this room are probably going to go for a happy hour later. Nobody asks me when I go for happy hour, are you sure you need a drink to unwind, 
right? You know, there's wine. I don't know. We allow adults to make the decision to go and consume alcohol, which is a legal substance. And we give adults, um, you know, the leeway to do that. We understand that some people will, you know, do it wrong and misbehave. But generally, we as a society encourage and allow people to use certain substances, but not others. And why is that? <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's very harmful for so many different people. So if you are able to, as an adult, go out and get a glass of wine after work, why shouldn't you be able to go and smoke a joint after work? If that is your personal preference, it has been proven not to be harmful. Alcohol has been moving to, proven to be much more harmful than cannabis. So what are we doing? Other states that have legalized have seen huge benefits tax-wise, right? And we are just so far behind. So yes, the legislature should and could do something. I know you've been a leader trying to get them to do something, screaming about it for years and years. Um, it's great that it's a bipartisan supported bill, which is wonderful because it means at least there are people who are responding to the call of the people who are paying to keep them in their jobs. Um, as residents of Pennsylvania, it's our duty, if we want to see any movement on any issue, but if we want to see movement on weed legalization, we need to go into the halls of power and tell them that. We need to hound our legislators relentlessly until they listen to us. It has been proven that when state government and federal government, but we're talking about the state government, wants to do something, they can. Well, it, 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 there seems to be so many different um, uh, moving parts to this issue. Um, and I mean, what you were laying out about sort of all the different charges, it sounds like puff, puff, pass is really one puff, charge, charge, charge. <laughs> um, uh, and that is, that is unfortunate because it impacts people's lives uh, so dramatically. Um, now, when you look at the seriousness of drugs, there are different ways the federal government classifies them. So, um, for Schedule One drugs, um, it are it which is which do you think is a Schedule One drug? Um, a, cannabis, marijuana, or B, uh, Percocets. Which one does the federal government classify as a Schedule One drug, and which one is not? We, marijuana, cannabis is the, is the Schedule One. What about perks? Are Percocets Schedule One? Not that I'm aware of. No, they're not. Because they're the federal government suggested that there are legal uses um, for Percocets, like if you have extreme pain, which are addictive the moment that you take them. Um, um, but but cannabis is Schedule One drug, which is the most serious classification of drugs. Um, and so some of this doesn't even make intuitive sense. Um, clearly, we all know if you're if you're a parent and you found out your child was using cannabis, you are probably have the experience most of us had and are a little annoyed. If you found out your kid was hooked on Percocets, you're probably going to contact a doctor and you have now wondered if your child has ruined his or her life. But And that's in terms of the impact of the substance on the body, but in terms of the impact on the law, under the law, cannabis is actually, from a federal perspective, more serious. Um, and I don't think people realize that. Swaba, you think folks realize that? No, no. Um, recently, I just had a student that 
went got caught smoking at Made in America at all places. Like who wasn't? <laughs> got caught smoking at Made in America, dancing to Bad Bunny, and that following week, we get notification that person, um, grant money is revoked. Mm. Revoke the grant, the the the, the grant money for receiving federal grant. Bar receiving for and settlement. Owes, and now owes the government like twenty thousand dollars. And owes the government twenty thousand dollars because uh, he or she was the only was like at, was was the only person at all made well, in America smoking weed. The only one that got a summit for it. Wow. I, I mean, we were there, I, right? Yeah, when I was there, <laughs> I tried to leave before I got high just from walking through. Right, so, I was like, we... But, we, but, but it's we, like this, right? It's like, it's like a, you roll the dice and see who's the lucky person, right? Yeah. And that young lady was so devastated because now she got to tell her parents, like, I can't go to college. Mm-hmm. And the parents had the expectation, this is like the first generation of somebody mm-hmm. going to college, mm-hmm. now you can't go to college. So she's trying to get a certificate program, and then like, if you want it, you got to pay for it yourself. You don't qualify for the federal dollars. That's how important this issue is. Yeah, it sounds like it's having a huge impact on folks in uh, so many ways. Um, Ms. Richard, do you think we can take a couple questions from the audience? Yeah. Uh, yes, they're illegal. Here, in Pennsylvania, they are illegal. Other places are starting to legalize them and decriminalize them because, again, they're realizing there's a medicinal benefit to that substance. It's, it's, and I hate to even call it a substance because you can just, you know, grow them next to your tomatoes, just like you can grow weed. Um, these things are not processed with rat poison and in a thing, you know, these are things that you can just grow that are natural. And it's showing that it's having incredible benefits on people who are suffering from so many like lifelong mental health issues and things like that, who would no longer have to rely on, um, you know, other forms of medication. Um, and so here, yeah. Yeah, secretary's right. And so it's federal illegal and Pennsylvania law it's illegal but there are a couple of states where people are looking at and I think California and maybe Oregon have already started looking at have started have legalized it but I think most states uh, it's not nearly as far along in cannabis there are 33 states that have some form of cannabis legalization either a medical program or something else for mushrooms I think we're only like uh, like two states two or three recognizing that especially like in high school I was saying because of the pandemic kids are already using drugs so we already know that but because of the pandemic you're seeing it a lot more and kids are still continuing to be suspended for it then it's changing the trajectory of them even graduating and I just wanted to know like do you have any recommendations or a current approach that you're using because right now with the violence in the city I feel like if it was an actual strategic approach towards how we're addressing cannabis in schools and suspension rates, that it will be a different um, outcome. So I just wanted to know, like, what are you doing? If not anything, what would you do? So even the law as proposed, and I 
probably been a, an advocate of the of the most uh, um, expansive form of legalization wouldn't allow young people to purchase cannabis because the effects of cannabis on a developing mind are a lot different than on an adult mind. So there are no known long-term negative effects on cannabis on a fully developed mind. But a juvenile mind, it does have some negative effects. One of the things we point out, though, is if you had a cannabis legalization, a recreational adult use, the it will be harder for young people to get it because right now, if you go, if you go think about getting alcohol, if they won't, it's actually easier for young people to get cannabis than alcohol because legal alcohol dispensaries are like, I could lose my license. I'm not selling it to you. We're not saying it's impossible, but most people who are selling cannabis in the black market don't really care if you're 16 or 21. They'll sell you the cannabis. If you had a regulated market, what we found in places where there's regulated market, the availability of cannabis for juveniles goes down a lot. And so if availability went down a lot, juvenile use would probably drop as well. I also think it addresses the taboo aspect of things. I think a lot of young people are excited about doing things that they know they're not supposed to do, right? And if something is legal, it becomes not as big of a deal too, right? I think, as the senator said, you know, the the laws and proposed, you know, legislation does address adult use cannabis. I don't really feel or see um, a space where there's going to be legalization for um, youth use of cannabis, um, especially since they've up, you know, tobacco use age as well. Except um, in the medical space. In the medical space, right. There's a, there is in the medical space. Um, but I do think there are a lot of opportunities to look at how young people are treated and criminalized for doing that. We all know young people do consume substances. We have all been young people before. Um, and so we should address things with you know, a reality, right? We know people are going to try different things and whatever. I think it's about education and making sure that folks know the impact of different things. Um, again, pushing for legalization so that it becomes less of a taboo um, and less of a black market aspect, but then really looking at how we can um, divert youth from criminalizing them for that behavior, uh, but really trying to get them to understand, you know, maybe this isn't the best thing for you right now, um, but but not having it actually impact their educational trajectory. Right. So when I first started practicing law, I remember um, uh, 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 almost identical cases where there was an instance where you had an upper middle class suburban um, um, white young person, white young people who were caught with alcohol. And the reaction from law enforcement back then, and this is a long time ago because I'm, I'm old, um, was, um, you know, we don't want to, we want to scare them, but we don't want to give them a record because we don't want to ruin their lives. And the same thing when you would get a group of underage um, young people using alcohol in the inner city. And they said, we should charge them with something now so they know they can't get away with it and they don't do something more serious later. <clears throat> and in both, and, and it, and we're discussing it, we're talking about, this was in talking about sentencing disparities. We're talking about how when you, uh, the idea was, oh, for these folks in some communities, we have to charge immediately or they're going to do something worse. In other communities, we have to let it go or we're going to be burdening them for life. Um, 
And so we have to make the we have to be careful not to make the same mistakes in cannabis that we've done in alcohol and so many other things where the same behavior is treated differently in different communities. And so clearly we don't want to encourage young people, underage folks to use cannabis, but recognize that just like some young people drink alcohol, some young people are going to do cannabis, whether we legalize recreational adult use or not. We want to make sure that we treat folks fairly and, and don't, and don't um, ruin lives. And the second thing we want to do is recognize the Secretary Trustee pointed out that legalization, destigmatization, uh, both reduces the availability to young people and also may, you know, may uh, reduce the interest. Um, and so those are some of the th ways we can address it in the, in the juvenile space. I'm not an advocate, but I was sitting there to see people get out of jail and have their workers expunged. And one of my concerns would be that some people who might want to smoke or get high in some kind of way, if they're in certain kind of fields, it could actually become a threat. You mentioned the medical field. I wouldn't want a doctor to smoke up. So I think in terms of some health and safety, in terms of safety, that those kind of things should be discussed. You know what I mean? So let me ask you this. If you had a heart surgeon who, when he was on vacation with his family in uh, Jamaica, drank uh, a beer, would that concern you? If two weeks later he was, he was he not touching more alcohol for two more weeks and he was going to do heart surgery with you, would you be concerned about his beer? Right, that's not the question, though. The question is, I'm saying, if he had a beer. So let me, no, but, be, but this is an issue that's important. I've never heard of cannabis keeping you high for two weeks. And if you know a form of cannabis that can keep you high for two weeks, there's probably yeah. dispensary <laughs> people outside. You can make a lot of money. Yeah. So, that's not my point. But, that's, that's not my point. That's but, 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 but your point, but, but what I'm, what we have to do is understand the audience that we're dealing with, which is the fact is black and brown folks are getting locked up for this oh, disproportionately people's lives are being ruined. And part of the narrative is that this is going to create all these folks who are operating on people to be high. When the reality is the science, and you may not be aware of this, cannabis can stay in your system for the cannabinoid, like the residue for a month, but you can only, but you don't stay high much longer than you would stay drunk. As a matter of fact, most people don't stay high as long as they can stay drunk. But, and so the testing right now results in um, people being, you know, locked out of fields because of cannabis. And when you couple that with the fact that there are disparities in who gets encountered with law enforcement, um, DUIs, for instance, you or I are much more likely to get pulled over driving, whether we've done anything wrong or not, than white folks. That's just that's just that's just the reality. If we use cannabis, and although cannabis usage for black folks and white folks is roughly the same, 
because we're pulled over more often, we're going to be tested more often because we just encounter law enforcement often. That means we're going to get more DUIs when you have a system that says if you use cannabis for back pain on Thursday night and this is you know, next Wednesday, so five days later, you haven't taken any cannabis, you can still get a DUI. And so what we have to do is certainly we don't want incapacitation. We don't want anyone actively high operating on anybody, driving a truck, using a plane, just like we don't want anybody actively drunk doing any of those things. There are ways to test for active intoxication or active incapacitation for cannabis like there is alcohol. But the current standard is if there's any presence of cannabinoids in your system, then you should be banned. And so I don't want to be seen insensitive to your comment, but there, this, is, this is discussion is taking place in the construct of a larger discussion. And so it's not just your comment. I'm responding to sort of what's going on in society. And I do want to also say, I mean, again, alcohol is legal. So you go in and get surgery and you trust that your surgeon is able to make a decision whether he's going to or he or she is going to show up at work to operate on you drunk or not. Right. But we trust people as adults and professionals not to show up impaired uh, if they're going to be, you know. And so legalization of cannabis um, does not, it's not going to increase people showing up. The other thing is when you have people, I mean, employment, right? I mean, I have a code of conduct I have to adhere to. We're not supposed to show up, you know, impaired. Uh, and same thing with doctors and nurses and things like that. They have a code that they should not be showing up that way. They do some Sometimes, I'm sure. However, think about this the other way. There are a lot of people who take daily medication, right? Say for anxiety or things like that. Um, and so there are substances in people's systems all the time. And cannabis is not something that is any different allowing people to use it then again we trust people empower people who are having a scalpel at our throats while we're unconscious to be able to be responsible about the substances they use already so why wouldn't we allow people to responsibly use and trust them that they would responsibly use cannabis as well and and i got one other thing to just mention to folks i know this is going to be shocking to some people yeah, but I, I went to Penn for law school. There was a medical school. I have an Ivy League education, and I'm middle-aged, so a lot of these folks have been around for a while. A lot of doctors are already using cannabis right yes. now. <laughs> and a lot of Ivy League doctors are always using cannabis, and they've been doing it for 30 years, mm -hmm. but they're not showing up to surgeries using cannabis. Right. And guess what? Nobody's testing doctors because if you're an Ivy League prestigious doctor, they don't piss test you before you walk <laughs> in. They look at you. You seem cool. You're okay. They do do it if you're the janitor mopping the hospital. Yep. That's the guy that gets urine tested, mm -hmm. not the surgeon. That's just reality. It's wrong. It is what it is. It's reality. And we have to start recognizing the unfairness of society. And I'm gonna get be very blunt, right? So um, there was just earlier today there was a protest with nurses and nurses and hospital workers who were protesting outside Temple, and they had law enforcement, they had the Temple, you know, law enforcement people saying, "Hey, you carry this sign, you cross over to 
you cross over this line, there are going to be all these penalties. And these are supposedly mostly low, in, low income uh, nurses and, and folks carrying signs. This is the way society works in, a re in reality. I was carrying a sign, picking in with them. I got a phone call. I wasn't paying attention. I, I took my phone call. I walked over into the space where you're not supposed to wear the thing. I was surrounded by temple law enforcement people. I turned around. I said, what are you doing? They said, we are sorry, Senator, and walked away. Mm. I don't think we are sorry, Senator, was coming for me if I had just been a nurse yep. at the hospital. And so what we have to recognize is everybody doesn't get treat fair, treated the same. And we have to recognize our privileges. And being an Ivy League educated lawyer senator gives me some privileges that other folk don't have. But being a white Ivy League doctor does. Being mm -hmm. um, There are all kinds of people that have all kinds of privileges. And so what we have to recognize is I went to school with a lot of them doctors, big time surgeons. I ain't giving them names. But I know for a long time, just because I'm in a world where I have those social circles, they're smoking weed now. Mm -hmm. And they have been. <laughs> And they have been. <laughs> Hello. Mm -hmm. um, I have a question regarding the pardon process. I know you said it takes years and then the expungement process happens. So under the PA pardon project, is there a shortened time? There is. So the PA pardon project actually covers two convictions. It's very narrow, unfortunately, but it only covers um, small, you know, possession of, small, of a small amount of marijuana for personal use or possession of marijuana. Um, if there are additional convictions, they don't qualify. Um, but if you have only those convictions on your record, there is a shortened time period for that. So the deadline to apply is quickly approaching at September 30th. Um, the reason for that is because this is a priority for the governor and lieutenant governor who leave office in mid-January and we have two more sessions left of the Board of Pardons. So um, that's pa.gov forward slash mjpardon. Um, and that, again, that ends September 30th is a deadline um, so that folks can get merit reviewed in October and then public hearing in December and hopefully signed by the governor by mid-January. Yep. All right. So let's, let's take um, maybe one more question and then we'll do closing remarks. So who wants the final question? Oh, uh, okay, we got two more. So we'll take both of those two questions and that's it. First you, young lady, and then you'll have the final word. Um, my question, um, one I want to add um, even to his um, question, opioids is legal. So mm -hmm. a lot of people, doctors, are just taking them. If they got a headache, you know, they, they're they legally able to take this pill and go into surgery and still work on someone. Um, so I just wanted to add that. But my question is in reference to um, people who are re-entering society. Um, is there any like, programs or are there any communication around um, just parole officers just automatically allowing um, their clients to get a medical marijuana card? I ask that because a lot of the men and women who are re-entering society, you know, they have PTSD, they have anxiety, mm -hmm. and I know a number of Mm -hmm. You know, which is bad because 
fearful of even just going to go get like a medical marijuana card. So um, is that something that's automatically told to, you know, be, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a process. Like I said, I've been in, I, I just came out of the hospital last week. And what the pro agents is saying is a process. And the process is the doctor really got to be like, this is some serious shit going on with him. He needed, and they got to, and the parole agent got to be like, okay. But if the parole agent is a, a, a nut dude or woman that's saying, I don't want you to do that, you don't get it. That parole agent have the last call to say, okay, I'm gonna respect what the doctors are saying, you need it. But what happens most of the time, they judging you on the record that they have. Mm -hmm. So if in your record, there's anything. They say, well, you know, he likes to get high. He was getting high in prison. Mm -hmm. He went to jail for getting high. Now they thinking you're trying to run gain on them. Mm -hmm. And based on that, they're saying, we don't want you to have a barrel one uh, one the car because we think you're trying to run gain. So I absolutely agree with everything Suave just so, said on, on that, or Mr. Gonzalez said on that, um, and just in gen, uh, gener generically, I will only add the PO that if you have, uh, if you're out there, if you're in here, if you're in Philadelphia in the area, and you have a specific instance where you have, you have a need for uh, medical marijuana, and you're on parole, you're having trouble getting authorization, um, please reach out to my Senate office mm -hmm. um, because the parole agents believe they are the final word. <laughs> that ain't always the case. <laughs> but don't do it on your own. Right. Sure. And then we'll go to the, you go ahead. And then so a lot of people that come off have that. So, so you you might need some therapy, something like that. Are those mm -hmm. kind of things available for people coming home? Um, I mean, yes. I know I, I know our program at Community College. We don't only offer educational resources. We also offer therapy, then counseling to brothers and sisters coming home. But most of the time, you know, they need that joint to relax. <laughs> So I mean, I, I'm just being honest. The answer is yes, the, like the programs need, exist. They need that. Like, I know, I know that if I smoke a joint, right, I'll be able to sleep. And this is no lie. I've been home five years, and I haven't been able to sleep eight hours yet straight. I'm up all night. Now, I don't know what I classify. I don't know how to classify that. Mm. But I'm up all night. Literally, I get up at 9, 10 o'clock at night and wait till 6 o'clock to go to work and repeat the same process over and over again. So, you know, and I'm starting, it's starting to take an effect on me. I go to the doctor, they're saying, you know, maybe you want to try this. And I'm like, okay, cool. Gotta go see my parole agent. My parole agent is saying, you know what? Because you have this charge in prison mm -hmm. 35 years ago, that tell us that you was using marijuana illegally. So how I know you're not running gain on the doctor and on me just to smoke weed? This right. is the, the response I get. Yeah. And I'm like, well, you know, I work in an institution where, you know, they could piss test you if you just smoke and, you know, see if they ever came up with anything. Since 1988, I haven't smoked no weed, you know. But I'm, I'm caught up. I'm caught up because they say, well, your record said you smoked a joint in 1988, 87, and you got charged for it. And they basing their decision on that. 
Yeah, so I mean, there there are clearly systemic things. There are programs um, for folks coming home. It's not an automatic. Folks, the one of the challenges, folks have to find the programs on their own. There's no, you came home, we're going to automatically give you, you know, menu of services. There's services out there. If you're coming home to Philadelphia, there is a reentry office, sorta, kinda. Uh, it's not what it used to be. Um, that can help you navigate that, but we've got to do better in terms of connecting people to resources. And the second thing, as it pertains to cannabis, um, systemically, it, sh it should be treated differently. We have to work on systemic change. The legislation is designed to do that, but in the interim, if you want to reach out to my office, I know Representative Jordan Harris, there are some of us who can serve as an advocate um, to help you through your individual cases. So, you, And by the way, if you call the office, you don't actually have to speak to just me. Um, <laughs> we do have a, a dozen people or more that work for, this, for my Senate office, then, and uh, many of them can be helpful to you in this space. And so this young lady was patiently waiting uh, for our final question. If you have an expunged um, conviction for marijuana and you are then applying for a job that requires you to sign a sworn statement as to the accuracy of the information, and one of the questions is, have you ever been convicted? Are you able to say no or So for an expungement, if you're applying for a job, can you say no? Um, I would say it depends on the job. If you have a pardon and you're applying for a job, you can always say no. Right. An expungement, it depends on the job. So if you're applying to be a police officer, law enforcement, an expungement will not clear up um, an employment and employment, they will know and you have to explain it. If you're applying to Target, CVS, then you could say yes, because they will not have access to that information once it's expunged. If you get a pardon, it's gone completely. So, and I, so a pardon, you can say, I've never been convicted of this, right? That is complete forgiveness from the Commonwealth. The expungement generally, so yes, the expungement clears it from your record. There are always going to be certain agencies that will see and be able to see a, a person's history, uh, but generally, it, like, it will be limited from public view. Um, you can't look at it online, and it will not show up. Um, you know, there are agencies that kind of access to sealed dockets and things like that, but uh, a pardon will allow you to say you've never been convicted of that offense, and in, in every case, yes, and then an expungement will take it off your record, uh, but the pardon is the forgiveness. Yeah, and I would just say for a shorthand for people, if you're, if it's just a regular private sector job that doesn't have like security clearances, if you have an expungement, you should answer yes. Yes, you have not been convicted. Mm -hmm. If you are looking to do anything that is that does have security clearances, you might want to check with a lawyer or have a more extensive conversation. But for the average person who's not looking for those clearances, expungement should be fine. And you know, um, that's that's what I've seen in my experience. Yeah, and you get a lovely little paper, you know, and you get that pardon that you can always show employers too if they do question. Yeah, the pardon charter, um, but. Technically, you can say you've never been, but I agree with the senator that uh, there are certain situations where you might want to explain so that you know there's no questions there. But you can say you uh, you have that pardon. 
All right. Well, well thank you everybody for coming out. And we want uh, we could get a uh, first uh, suave and then secretary trustee. You can have final words. Anybody want to take some of these? If you know anybody that's interested in going to college, send them my way. If you're interested in the Pennsylvania Marijuana Pardon Project, go to pa.gov forward slash mjpardon. Uh, the deadline to apply for that is September 30th, but if you miss the deadline, you can still apply. Uh, go to bop.pa.gov. You can find all the information there for our other pathways to a pardon, um, and you might as well get it in. And for everyone watching out here, we want to thank um, Secretary Trustee for her work. We we'll thank Mr. Gonzalez for her work. And we want a special big thanks to uh, Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman out there who has been fighting on this issue, fighting to people, keep people's records clear, and been a champion for making sure that ordinary people don't have their lives ruined because of a uh, marijuana conviction. So just remember John Fetterman. Thank you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.